With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is Julio Rodriguez, and this is the Lookout Landing Podcast. Outlanding Podcast. Me llamo Matthew Robertson y estamos hablando de los marineros de Seattle. What, what if I just did this Ooh. whole episode in Spanish and didn't tell you guys? I see someone else has been hitting the Duolingo hard in quarantine. Yeah. That is incorrect. That is, <laughs> that is my... Uh, I did take a, a decent amount of Spanish in school. I think I got to Spanish 4 and then had to Google Translate to figure out the tenses there with estamos hablando. But <laughs> feel pretty good about that. I feel like that's what maybe these uncertain times are calling for. A dramatic mid-season character twist where I just start speaking Spanish. <laughs> yeah. The, la- the writers got really lazy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm just picturing like the trailer for this made-up show. They're like, the Mariners are playing a shortened season and Matthew Robertson is learning <laughs> Spanish? <laughs> I'm making like a wacky face in the camera. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, I'm Matthew. I speak English. Uh, that's Kate Prusser and John Troopin. They also work at Lookout Landing and watch the Seattle Mariners in exchange for grocery money. Uh, how are y'all feeling knowing that this season is already one third done? We are 20 games in. Today is an off day, uh, Thursday the 13th. And by playing 20 games, the Mariners have completed one third of their season. Has that set in for you guys yet? Little bit. I, I'm I've honestly been enjoying it. I, I like the I love of you know, sort of the full length of the season, but I have really enjoyed this like weird uh like immediacy and like uh sort of the the, the way that like oh suddenly are the Orioles and Tigers just going to make the playoffs? <laughs> and, and Marlins. The, and Marlins. And Marlins, yeah. Um, I have not enjoyed the, like, sort of the Cardinals going to make the playoffs because <laughs> they went 2-1. and one. Like, that part less cool. But I haven't, you know, I don't know how you do it in, in reality in, you know, better years. But I have found the, like, immediacy of like a 60 game schedule i would love to you know just have more sort of times like this where it feels like it's you know there's less like oh well it's just part of the part of the journey and more like this matters oh god okay well we have to win this because it's it's now or never uh that that's been fun at least albeit more on a league-wide scale and you know less with the mariners where it's like well they don't really have to win this now they could or they could not and either way will be interesting in some way 
Yeah, I'm. Yeah. The fact that we're at 20 games is so like the only teams who are at 20 games are us, um, San Francisco. Uh, they're 19-19. The Mets just hit 20 today. Uh, Atlanta's at 20 now. And then I think, uh, and Tampa Bay is at 20 now. But for a long time, the Mariners and the Giants were the only teams that had completed a certain number of games because they, <laughs> the West division has been so far the most successful at keeping the COVID away. And I'm proud, I guess, uh, of the fact that the people in the Mariners specifically, but also kind of our division as a whole has taken this really seriously. And, um, I, I admit I was really nervous about them going to California, specifically the Anaheim area, because that's like where Huntington Beach is and those people have not been great about enforcing things, but you know, it's been, I, I can't, I don't know if it's luck or if it is like actually following the rules. I would like to believe it's, it's the latter. So I feel weirdly proud that we've completed 20 games, which is, again, complex in the, like, should they even be playing the games question. Um, but so far, I've been pleased with how things seem to have gone along, um, unless we're just hearing about it. We're not hearing about, like, a ton of positive test cases that have happened from people who are personnel at the stadium and whatnot. And in that case, I think you'd have outbreaks seeping into the team, so... Um, it gives me a lot of hope that if people do follow protocols, like, that's what I think is most interesting about this bubble situation, like, with the NBA and everything, is, like, if you do follow the protocols and you do follow the rules and you do do what you're supposed to do, we really could get a lid on this thing. So, yeah, I hope that this will be encouraging to everyone else that, like, hey, we could control this if we all just really agree to do what a bunch of actual dumbasses in MLB players can do. MLB players are not smart. They're not smarter than you or I, but they're following no, the rules. They're and so they're dumber. I Some think, of them are proving that. I think they're very, yeah. So, I mean, Zach Plesek is probably not, uh, uh, not actually included in this conversation, but yeah, it's, it works. So I, I hope that, you know, kind of America can take a, cue from that in some ways like okay we can have these things come back but you have to follow the rules yeah i do love the idea of like the milwaukee bucks like accidentally solving the covid crisis you know like the fact that like (laughs) nba is so like ahead of the curve in terms of controlling the virus is a very funny idea to me but they keep killing it and like baseball is doing basically the same thing but just in a harder circumstance like to create bubbles in all these hotels is like pretty difficult ask. Yeah. And we've seen that the Cleveland pitchers have decided that they're not going to follow the rules, mm-hmm. which is terrible. Like that's, <laughs> they gave them literally one thing to do. And they're like, ah, no, I actually am going to do the opposite of that. And then like you mentioned, Kate, that police guy, Zach police Yeah. Uh, he, he's, he needs to go. I'm, I'm like, that's, <laughs> yeah. Because not only did he break the, the quarantine rules or whatever, like he left the bubble to go just hang out with his boys. But then today on Thursday, he posted a video of himself driving a car while filming himself. Also like bad. Holding, <laughs> holding the phone, not, not mounted, <laughs> holding a phone with one hand, driving with the other, half looking at the road in what looked like a downtown area. <laughs> it was probably a, 
a lot of people. And he's like, yeah, so the funny thing is, is the media is wrong. I'm actually probably the safest guy I know. I'm great at following the rules. <laughs> yeah. While he's, like, breaking what? three different laws at one time. It's, uh, I mean, it's amazing. What they've done that I think has been really good um, is I think they've put the players at, at least the Mariners have done this. I don't know other ones, but they've put the players at, like, these big resort hotels. Like, in Anaheim, they stayed at one that was, like... I I searched the geotag for it on Instagram and looked at all the pictures. It is, like, the most ridiculous Orange County thing ever. It looks like a scene out of the OC. All the people look like they were in the OC. Um, So it's just, like, this huge event space that, you know, has lots of stuff there. So maybe they're less, and it's a little more remote. So it's not like you're in a hotel in the city with all that temptation around. I did the same thing in Arlington. They were at like, I think it was like a Four Seasons. That was like 20 minutes outside of where this, it's Irving, Texas, which again, you're not beating down the doors to go hang out in Irving. I think it's interesting that the, the slip ups we've seen have been in Chicago. So that seems to be like either the city itself is so it's such a temptress Chicago uh, that people can't stay there or like maybe they just didn't maybe there's no good alternative where they like have the land space to put them up in someplace that is more appealing than putting all your teammates at danger by going out to dinner which I don't I, I mean I don't know I don't know to me that would be an easy choice but it's a, I think the the thing that really has been you know uh, encouraging is, is as you guys said like when people have you know not to go I mean too thoroughly in depth on like how to how to handle the coronavirus but like all these leagues have such a high level of testing and such quick turnaround on testing that between that and making people properly follow you know follow protocol and you know, everyone generally having an understanding of if we do this, we get to <laughs> keep getting paid, keep doing what we're doing, you and know, do what we love gets to, too. Like, and do, do yeah, and do what you love. You know, I mean, yeah, but you know, and it's like that is encouraging, but that's also like it is still a unique circumstance, right? Like that isn't you know how quick you're getting a turnaround on tests elsewhere. You know, like that's. Uh, it it is both encouraging and frustrating i think because it's you know it's like yeah they are able to maintain this semi bubble semi like you know screen you know uh bug tent kind of thing uh but then it you know it's also like well if i if i go get a test that'll probably be a week until i get my results back as opposed to you know getting six tests in a row negative so you can get uh you know some cardinals players back in two in two to three days right you know it it is it is good that this is how they're doing it for them um and that's i think it's been nice to see that on the whole go reasonably well but uh you know frustrating i suppose that that's not how it is necessarily uh represented everywhere else the fact that they're all, like, kind of forced into this, like, I don't know. It seems like they're basically doing, like, uh, 
big travel ball again, which I'm sure like they all yes, have that experience exactly. from before. But like, if you like your teammates this season, you're going to have a lot of fun. I would imagine, or, you know, relative to what you can have in the world right now. Like if you're a guy who has like two or three friends on the team, I imagine that that's just all you're doing is like kicking it with them in the hotel. I imagine there's a lot of video games. And like, if that's, if you're like one of those people who are like, that's all I need. I don't, you know, I'm not tempted to go out in Chicago, like police act, or like, I'm not perilously horny and like swiping on Tinder the whole time. Then you're going to have a pretty solid setup. Like it's not perilously horny. <laughs> I'm still waiting for that to come out. The Seahawks had a guy yep. today who uh, snuck a woman into the team hotel yep. disguised as a Seahawk player, <laughs> which I just want to say, like, congratulations. That's amazing. Like, you're, yeah. you might have lost out on an NFL career, but I will never forget you, yeah. person whose name I don't actually know. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll see. I would love to see, like, if the Mariners do – do that i'd obviously be disappointed but if they get creative then you know hats off to them for sneaking a a sexual partner into the hotel in a funny way like i feel like with baseball too you could do like you know in one of those giant bags that carries bats (laughs) something like that or like you know put two people in one jersey disguise them as dan vogelback i don't know i'm just coming up with ideas on the spot here but a lot of these things are in play if the Mariners want to listen to me, which they shouldn't, obviously. No, absolutely they should not. Well, I guess one positive of this season is that we have not heard about any Mariners testing positive for coronavirus. Uh, that's probably the biggest positive we can have. But we are actually gathered to discuss positives on the field as well as some negatives, which there are a few. But uh, it's always better to start with the happy. We used to call this this... Uh, exercise of like naming one thing that was positive, one thing that was negative. We used to call this happy crappy in this uh, this youth group I went to. Non-church affiliated youth group. Uh, we were a cool youth group. It was mostly about the endless horrors of using drugs and alcohol. And then cut to 12 years later when alcohol outnumbers vegetables in my fridge. About <laughs> 16 to 1. Uh, but yes, there's 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 a lot of parallels here between this youth group that I went to and the 2020 Mariners season. Um, but I know you guys probably all have of some them happening I... in a basement. Whoa! <laughs> it wasn't quite a basement. It was a spare room in the local firehouse. All right, let, us use. let my joke live. Okay, that was, that was clever. <laughs> Fact check. It was jokes. a clever joke. I was yes anding you. Uh, not that was, that was no ending. <laughs> I mean, Matthew is the improv expert here, so. No, I actually have a deep, deep aversion to improv comedy. It makes me very uncomfortable. I don't know why. Something about it <laughs> that it's I, doing its I genuinely find unsettling. <laughs> but I guess we can, let's get into it. Um, I kind of just wanted to cover all of the positives to make people as happy as possible Uh, and I assume that we all kind of have the same thoughts but one thing that I wanted to start with one thing that I personally am happy about is being right that's correct (laughs) folks I'm taking the concept of being correct because in several season preview episodes and articles on the website even dating back to like 
the winter before the virus. We kept saying that the Mariners were going to have a lot of games where the starter does their job, the young offense does enough to get a lead, and then the bullpen kind of you know takes a look at that creation and sprays it with a hose filled with fireball, and the whole <laughs> thing goes to shit. <laughs> I think at some point I actually said, like, prepare yourself for a lot of eight to five losses, and that has already happened several times over. Mm-hmm. Like, last night was seven to four to the Rangers. They lost eight to four to the Rockies. There was an 8-2 to two and a 7-2 to two against the Astros. One game against the Astros actually did end 8-5. to five, And I feel very happy about this, not only because of the validation, but also because this is basically ideal for the Mariners, which we've discussed. Like, the draft pick that will come from losing is worth so much more than whatever F-war this bullpen accumulates. And most importantly, this current bullpen doesn't really have any guys they'll be relying on when the contention window arrives so for me this season is going exactly according to plan and i'm pretty happy about that honestly yeah the happiness is no doubt at least in part due to the uh hose of fireball that you had installed which in addition to your (laughs) fridge really i've been meaning to talk to you about it uh the the ratio is a little out of whack there but uh you know it's your apartment you're you're welcome to do as you wish uh i i fully agree with with how the you know how a lot of these games have been playing out. Uh, yes, it's frustrating to watch games get blown, but it's so much more fr- more satisfying. Kate, we, you know, I would love to hear you sort of expand on this because this was, you know, the most recent game. But like, it's so much less upsetting in a season where we're not expecting much. It, you know, as a caveat, to have the games be lost because of guys who we will probably we may forget on a sporkle quiz um you know in a year or two as opposed to you know because the main guys who we want to see succeeding for the most part aren't having success yeah for sure um i would say like joey gerber i care about how joey gerber does because he is i one of the only pieces looking forward who I see like could still be in the bullpen next year, the season after, etc. Um, other than that, yeah, it feels like a lot of guys who are getting some looks to possibly be trade candidates, and they must all love the Mariners so much because they just go out there and blow it. Uh, they take turns blowing it, too. I mean, that to me, that <laughs> is also satisfying, is that it's not like just one person I can heap all my disparagement upon, but you know, it's a, it's always, it's the bullpen roulette and you're like, who's it going to be? It's like a little mini game within the game. And then if that person's Eric Swanson, it's like, which Eric Swanson is it going to be? Because there's like a version of him that's really, really good. And there's a version of him that's terrible. And either one could show up on any given night. So, I mean, to me, that's exciting, too. Like, is this going to be the Swanson who hits 97, paints it on the black? Or is this going to be Eric Swanson serving up some Midwest-style meatballs? Who knows? And I it just, I mean, to me, I was surprised. Because last night after Texas, after the loss to Texas, yes, it was disappointing. I mean, Taiwan pitched well. The, they got a lead. They really jumped on Texas early. And they probably didn't do enough in later innings. You know, the, the offense wasn't perfect. But then the bullpen came in and did what, you know, you know the bullpen's going to do. And people were so mad about it on Twitter. I was like, why oh, you have to be mad? Like, 
they didn't need to be mad about it. I I didn't feel mad, at least. Like, to me, it was kind of the perfect loss. It was, again, like, I don't, I think Eric Swanson might still be good. I'm okay with being on the journey of him as he, like, figures out whatever it is he's going to be. I don't really care. Um, and it's just really hard for me to get worked up about any kind of loss this year, specifically because of where they're positioned and also because I just... It always comes back to, I don't care how bad the baseball is. I'm so glad to be watching baseball. Yeah, that's exactly where I am. And I think it is really fun in a perverse sort of way to watch. It's literally like a movie, like a movie that you haven't, you don't know how it's going to end because while we know the characters a lot of the times, I mean, there's some that I don't know. Like I'm still kind of learning the Mishevichs and the Taylor Williams or whatever, but like watching them decide, okay, you're getting the seventh inning, and, like, you could, like you said, Kate, either go one, two, three, or give up four runs. Like, that is kind of fun to watch. If you can allow yourself to not care about the win or loss, because I know that's hard for a lot of people, yeah. but for me, I have a great time just watching them figure shit out, like you said. Yeah. Like, it's really cool to see a bunch of guys, like, who probably also, if we're being realistic, didn't expect to be here. Like, there's a lot of guys who for a lot of other organizations would not be in the big leagues. So they get to like live out their dream and in a, you know, backhanded kind of way, help the Mariners every time they blow a game. Like it's very noble of them to come up, (laughs) give, give up like eight runs after the seventh inning and get Kumar rocker one step closer to Seattle. That's as much as you can help the Mariners right now. That's hero. That's heroism. That's not all, not all heroes wear capes somewhere. Mariners uniform numbers that start in like the 60s. Yeah. Mishevitz um, is an interesting one. So I was watching the Mets game today with the New York Mets commentary, which to me, listening to any other commentary except the Chicago announcers, I love the White Sox announcers, but um, it's just such a, it's such a tour around of appreciation for me to for Dave Sims and Brick Riz and Goldsmith and Blowers, especially Mike Blowers. Like, it's just such a better broadcast booth than a lot of places have. Uh, but anyway, the Mets announcers were, they were facing Seth Romero, who is a Nationals prospect who has not pitched above a ball. He's had a bunch of off the field trouble. This poor kid is up here. He's, he's messing up. Um, but he also had like moments of brilliance and I was like, man, and he had this huge, stupid smile on his face while he was like struggling after he finally like struck a guy out and his day came to an end. He just looked like the happiest guy in the world. The Mets announcers were like, yeah, there's so many people up here who don't deserve to be here. Like they don't, they shouldn't be here or something like that. And I was like, what a horrible way to approach this weird little season where like Tons of guys are getting exposure that, yeah, they wouldn't normally get because their teams need them because COVID or because, you know, they just want to give them run and see how they could do. No, Evan White should probably have had time in in AAA to refine his plate approach against the away stuff that he's getting constantly victimized on. But he didn't get that. So now he's here and we all have to make the best of it. And like, I don't know, why not just celebrate the joys as they come? I'm very, I'm a very Zen baseball fan this year, which is, it's nice. It's exciting, I think, to just kind of try to turn up the good. 
Yeah, that's always the beauty of rooting for a bad team, which obviously we have a lot of experience in. It's like it it does reach that point and for you know, for this season it was kind of right from the beginning. We were like, yeah, whatever, man. Like I'm especially now cuz you're like I just want to watch baseball, so anything that happens is cool with me, but to see like just a, a kind of general laissez-faire approach to everything. Like I feel like even Scott Service is just like he doesn't really seem to have much of like a stringent bullpen plan. It's more of like whatever I'm feeling today, go with the <laughs> flow just kind of thing. Roll the dice. I will say yeah, like, and that's cool with me. Anthony Mishevitz, it matters a lot to him. You can see that dude is the sweatiest dude I have ever seen. He is just immediately drenched upon taking one set, one foot onto the field, like. I don't know if that's just like how he is or what, but he is just, just watch him sometime and you will see like the man is glistening like a Christmas ham at all times. <laughs> he's thrown one pitch and he looks like he's run a marathon. I love it. It matters to him. Like I'm rooting for him. I'm also, you know, not exactly rooting I'm not exactly not rooting against him. I would say that way. Like what happens happens, but yeah, you know, I want them to be successful. If they're not successful, it's pretty easy to like, just kind of meh, next time. Kate, you also had a great topical nickname for Mishevich. I don't know if you're willing to share that with our listeners. I did. Yeah. I believe you referred to him as the wet ass pitcher. <laughs> I did call him a wet ass pitcher. Yes, he is our WAP. Nobody, every everybody, team, tell every Hunter team Bishop that's one what that means. At least one. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, we got a question that's kind of about this, which is actually, I think, an interesting about take what WAP is from... because I'm still no, not entirely no. sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, that is a different podcast entirely. <laughs> Um, the question is about the bullpen, and it came from uh, Patrick J. Burke 84 on Twitter. Thank you, Patrick. They said, when does the complete disregard of investment in the bullpen become irresponsible in terms of the development of young players? Wouldn't it be more advantageous to see prospects getting more meaningful slash stressful live reps late in games? Better pen equals better competition. This is, I will admit, not something that I had considered but it is kind of interesting. I mean, I think for Major League Baseball players, even if they're more of a AAA guy, like we said, like there's a lot of fringe here. But I think that for them, like baseball is baseball. I don't really think that they're up there thinking like, oh, well, this guy is, you know, more of a double-A pitcher. So I'm going to, you know, I'm going to take my foot off the gas a little bit. Like if you're playing a baseball game, you're just trying to beat the guy in front of you. Like if you're in the field behind a shitty pitcher, obviously that sucks. But I don't think that that's going to make – like Kyle Lewis sour on the Mariners organization, you know, I think he's probably going to be impatient at certain points as anyone is who's played behind a shitty pitcher, but I don't think it's like actually damaging or irresponsible. Yeah, didn't we have that Especially one because still there's no need for a bullpen. Didn't we have a still of shed long looking like just completely. I, I want to say nonplussed, but that's not the, that's not the right definition. Like, he just uh, looked dis- maybe discouraged, but more disgusted. I-, I think disgusted would be 
fair as he was looking at the mound and i forget who he was even looking at i'll just say it was brian i believe shaw. this was a post brian shaw <laughs> yeah. as brian shaw was being removed if there's somebody the game, that yes. we're going to be kicking it's probably I, brian shaw and if there's someone who's not enjoyable for me to watch because i don't care to see him figure it out it's brian yeah. shaw i have no investment in him sorry no. dude I, w- I will say, I, I think there is something to this point in, in the sense that you do want your uh, you do want your players playing sort of high intensity, high leverage uh, reps as much as possible because, you know, yes, it's valuable to have, uh, you know, challenges and play against top level competition. But, you know, granted, the Mariners don't have like Justin Verlander in their camp, but like the Mariners have enough major league quality pitchers or they can string together enough, you know, relievers where it's like they could make these guys see mid to upper nineties with good sliders, good breaking balls every day if they wanted. So the, the impactful part of this is giving them the opportunities to have those sort of high stress, high pressure situations. And I do think you miss out on that a little bit, but I think the bullpen kind of comes and goes on that. You know, last night, for instance, they got a few extra, you know, uh, high, high stress, uh, plate appearances or, or, or close game high, you know, plate appearances because the bullpen blew it. Um, so, you know, I think that's a case in a sense, but I would I would put that more across the board on making these guys play for what is not a f- fully fleshed out team, which the trade off there is you have enough guys that you need to get playing time to see if they are going to eventually become parts of a play you know fully fleshed out team. So I think you know if that's still the issue next year and the year after. You absolutely are in a significant issue. We you know, we kind of saw that from 2010 to 2013, where it was like you had a ton of guys who didn't really get that much better, didn't really have that much development, never were playing uh, sort of pertinent games, and uh, you know that's that's not a great situation. But right now, I don't think that's you know I think so many of them are new enough to the to the game that or to the bigs that it, it's not sort of limiting them too much. I would also say, and John, you as a player can correct me on this, but it feels like there's a little bit of a different relationship between your position players and your starter versus your position players and your bullpen. Yeah, it's it's a definitely, uh, you know, it is a different vibe where it's like, this is Taiwan's game. Yeah, we don't want to mess is, up know, Taiwan. We want to help yeah. Taiwan win Taiwan's game. Like, right. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I think, I mean, especially in a shortened season like this, like your, the entire goal is to make sure that every player is prioritizing every plate appearance, every opportunity they get, because they're not going to get nearly as many as they would in any other season at the big league level or otherwise. So, uh, you know, if you are having a difficult time getting guys to focus, treat it with intensity that's you know that's kind of a coaching issue and not and not to say that that has been an issue just saying like it should be clear that this is impactful right now yeah i do like that angle you mentioned too john of like 
the relievers blowing a game late making for more impactful plate appearances like if they're up seven to three and then it becomes eight seven like all of a sudden those at bats that they have (laughs) well down eight seven are much more important Uh and i think that's great so yeah i think that the bullpen and the hitters can kind of form a little a bond here this season because if the hitters <laughs> if the hitters get an early lead, oh the bullpen loves that. And then if the bullpen gives it right back, oh cool, the hitters have intense at bats that give them useful experience against big league mm-hmm. closers. So that's mm-hmm. great for everyone. And I think that uh yeah, to answer Patrick's question, I think that it's actually very responsible as opposed to irresponsible to just have <laughs> a garbage bullpen this year. But thank you nonetheless, Patrick, for your question. Because I genuinely had not thought about what the the mental aspect of the shitty bullpen would be. So, thank you. For I will. I will there. say. I think there is a potential negative feedback loop of if it continues to be that your team is getting your games blown, that can be dispiriting. So, in some way, you do want to have like some degree of competency, but I don't think we're there yet, and I don't think we'll get there in an only sixty games of a season. Yeah. Should we talk about J.P. Crawford being incredible? He uh, he leads all American League shortstops in on-base percentage right now because Carlos Correa does not count, I've decided. So, J.P., congratulations. You're leading the American League in on-base percentage for shortstops. Uh, he has been a revelation. I think we all knew that he could be good, but to see it all happen so quickly has been a surprise for me. Like He's kind of doing what Kyle Lewis did last season where it's just so much – good in such a dense amount of time that it's kind of overwhelming and Crawford is is doing it on defense as well he's had you know a couple errant throws here and there but uh, overall I think he's been better than advertised which is great I mean I know you guys have been watching the same player and you feel the same way I'm trying to think of an interesting way to package this information but he's certainly one of my positives so far if not the number one positive on the whole team yeah I've been super pleasantly surprised I think I tweeted last night that JP one of my uh ongoing bits for this season in addition to Dylan Moore breaking physics is JP figuring out different things JP can stand for so my latest decision is that JP stands for just Pacific as in just Pacific time because he's like just a super Cali kid, you know, he like loves his revolution and uh, he's very vibey. I feel like JP Crawford is someone who, who performs vibe checks on a fairly regular basis. <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong. I'm not You're wrong. not wrong at all. Yeah. Um, you know, he definitely has some crystals, like some house plants. You know, he's just, he's, he lives that lifestyle, I think. And this is much more amenable to him to be in Seattle and be on this particular team than I think being in Philadelphia, which I've lived in and can say from firsthand experience, it sucks your joy away. It just sucks your lifeblood right out of you. It's <laughs> so hot, it's so cold, the people are so mean. Like, it's never pleasant outside. Uh, It's dirty. It smells. It is... The vibe of Philadelphia is a very uh, occluded energy. It's a very dark energy. So I feel like JP is really just the the divine spark within him really recognizes the divine spark within the Mariners. And he's he's at peace. Wow. That is so fucking... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> far out and i love it um 
Yeah. I I mean, it is... It's not how I would have expected him to get to where he is thus far. Like, he's he hasn't hit a homer. He is OBPing higher than he's slugging. Yeah, he's walking a lot. He's walking a ton, which, you know, was always a thing for him. And, like, I mean, if you look at his numbers right now, his numbers look a lot like the numbers he had in, like... 20 is actually very close to like his 2015 2016 numbers uh in the minor leagues where you know essentially he built himself into a top 10 in baseball prospect and it was like oh yeah like this guy walks a ton he doesn't he doesn't strike out much he doesn't hit for a ton of power but like he's an above average hitter who also is an incredible defensive shortstop and you know, it took him a while to get here, and it's not for sure that he'll be this way because he had a good start last year and then kind of got tired and, and fell off. But, I mean, he is just hitting so many, like, spray, not even full spray, but line drives. He's hitting uh, absolutely just, you know, fabulous uh he's doing a really good job of sort of getting his barrel to the ball even if that doesn't mean it's he's hitting it all that hard you know it 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 is such a encouraging thing after seeing him really i struggle a fair bit last year both and, and and really for the last few years to both make contact and to i think try and get to his power and this year he seems so much more comfortable and it's it's fabulous. I mean, it is an establishing thing if the Mariners have this version of J.P. Crawford going forward. Yeah, I think that's about as big of a building block as you can ask for, is to have a top-of-the-order foundational shortstop who plays great defense, who can get on base, who does basically everything like an old-school scout would want from a shortstop. Like, there are shortstops now who just – absolutely destroy the ball like Tatis has eight home runs already and like Crawford's never going to be Tatis that's okay if we can have a guy who you know has this what is it 14 percent walk rate that'll probably regress at some point but like if he just can continue this approach that's got him to this point I think that that would be wonderful because you could really make the argument I know we're only 20 games into a season but he right now he's maybe the best shortstop in the American League I mean defensively Fangraphs has him only behind Marcus Simeon, who has not hit at all this year. Simeon has a 57 WRC plus. JP Crawford's is 128. Wow. So he's doing he's doing both of the things you need to do to play shortstop very well. Like he's fielding well and he's hitting well. The only thing you could maybe complain about is what John said, the no homers, but I think the other aspects of his offensive game are sort of buoying him enough. You would love mm-hmm. to see a better slugging percentage. And again, not to compare him to Tatis, but JP is slugging 366. Tatis is at 711. <laughs> yeah. Well, which is unreal. And and I mean really what you're what you're looking at with JP is just can he continue to be what he's been thus far hitting the ball not all that hard. And and I don't think that there's I I don't think that that's a, you know, a death knell for him by any stretch. You know, there are a lot of guys who have had success just kind of spraying the ball or, or just hitting a good line drive rate with 
good pitch selection. Uh, you know, and and the challenge is typically guys who don't hit the ball that hard uh, or, or don't threaten pitchers start getting challenged in the zone a lot. But then, you know, but then he's not making bad contact on the balls in the zone. He's just hitting line drives, you know, and, and they're not necessarily clobbered, but, you know, they're still turning into hits. It's still hurting uh, the other team, um, you know. And so so you, I think it's a really, really promising uh, sort of combination. And he makes for, at least right now, such a great leadoff guy in in that he's got that OBP. He's fast enough to steal a base. He's fast enough to, you know, take advantage of uh, of better con excuse me better contact from the guys behind him or just you know trot home on a Kyle Lewis dinger. So I feel like in yeah. a lot of ways JP has again this goes to like him being comfortable and happy on his proper coast again. Um, he's just kind of not worrying about the power as much. And he's kind of gone into, he's leaning more heavily on the skills that made him special as a minor leaguer. Like he, his great on base percentage, he's got a great eye. Not everybody does. So he's going to use that and he's going to use that to be, I'm looking at his stat cast page now. He's in the 93rd percentile for K percentage. So He's striking out very, very little. Um, he's not whiffing. He's at 96 percentile for whiffs. Um, he's taking a ton of walks. So he's just doing those things, and he's taking what pitchers give him. So, yeah, his numbers are not... His power numbers are not great. Like, he doesn't hit the ball hard. He's very low in hard hit, in barrel. Um, but he's top of the... He's absolutely like the little red bars all the way to the right for expected batting average for uh woba expected woba so he's maximizing i think the skill set that he has and his numbers he's actually expected his expected slugging is 463 while he's only slugging 367 so i think there's even an argument that he could be slugging more it's just this is kind of where he's at right now um but to me it feels like he's more he's trying to do less at the plate and that is translating into him getting a lot more yeah i agree with that and he's on pace i mean if it was a 162 game season he'd be on pace for about 24 stolen bases too which is great so we're seeing it all finally come together and i think kate's on to something with the the west coast vibes helping him it's going to be the new, you know, Ryan Healy could only hit during day games. We got to monitor how mm-hmm. J.P. Crawford does playing west of the Mississippi. <laughs> There's like a very clear aura around him now that wasn't there before. I feel like he's just and he looks so much better in our uniforms. I think that's a huge part of it, too. Very aura enhancing to look good in your threads. Absolutely. I love the teal sleeves that some of the guys oh, are wearing. Yeah, him and, and Vogelbach have been wearing good. them. It's a, it's a great look. Yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
Okay. Uh, shout out Dylan Moore. Shout out Kyle Lewis. Other positives of the season, but we have to move to negatives before answering more listener questions. Um, so I wanted to give them some shine without maybe giving them a full segment on the show. There will be plenty of talk. There will be plenty of talk. (laughs) There's plenty of talk about Kyle Lewis and there will be much more talk about Dylan Moore if I have anything to do with it. Absolutely. But unfortunately we move from the happy to the crappy. And I think that the thing that's on everyone's mind, the thing that is, I think the most capital C concerning, if you had to pick a capital C concern in 20 games, is uh, Evan White hasn't hit for shit yet. He's got a 104 batting average, folks. 164 on base percentage, 179 slugging. He has entered what scientists call the Heffernan zone. Do y'all fuck with Burt Heffernan? Do you know who that is? No. (laughs) He's a real guy. He's a real person, I assure you. His name is Bert Heffernan, and despite that name, he actually played for the Mariners in 1992, not 1978. What? Impossible. Uh, I'm serious. Look him up. Bert was uh, very bad. I found him while researching other Mariner rookies who had kind of tough starts to their career. Uh, Bert Heffernan only appeared in eight games, so this is admittedly not a great comparison, but he hit 091 with a 182 slugging percentage as a 27-year-old rookie and was never heard from again. But I did find this great quote from his college coach who said, there are three things that make Heffernan stand out from any other player I've ever seen anywhere. So you're thinking, okay, it's going to be great. One, he's not afraid of getting dirty. That's like literally anyone can do that, coach. It does not separate Bert from anyone else who's ever slid. But anyway, two, said his coach, he's not afraid of getting hurt, which is, again, not a real skill for a baseball player. But then his coach says, most importantly, Bert is not afraid of embarrassing himself. He has a good time playing this game. And unfortunately, he just embarrassed himself every time he got up to the plate in the big leagues and we hope that Evan White does not go full Heffernan but uh right now that's unfortunately a pretty apt player comparison for Evan White who will surely pan out better than the homie Burt but uh never right go now it's full pretty bleak. Heffernan <laughs> <laughs> you cannot imagine how happy I was when I found a guy named Burt Heffernan who played in the 90s <laughs> this guy played with Griffey not with like Ty Cobb <laughs> unbelievable um, yeah, Evan White, though, I mean, it's going to be negative, folks. I'm sorry, but he leads all of MLB in strikeouts. Uh, right now only has three extra base hits, is striking out 42% of the time and walking less than 7%, giving us a WRC plus of, get ready, folks, negative three, hmm. which, if you're new to numbers, is extremely bad. But we're only 20 games in. He has sort of the privilege and the curse of learning all of this on the job. There's no other option at first base. I mean, I guess they could alternate site him, but that seems like that would do more harm than good, in my opinion. Um, but he is, I think, the one thing if you were to to do your classic, oh, you know, Mariners, they did it again. They found another prospect who can't hit. Like, I hate that mentality, obviously, but if you're doing that for Evan White right now, at least you are statistically correct. I concede you that point. Yeah, I, Kate can go into a little more depth. I know Kate and uh, Joe Doyle wrote about uh, some of the specifics on, on White's struggles, but I do want to sort of highlight just two things on him uh, right now, uh, one of which is that uh, 
uh, he is obviously making just absolutely not enough contact. Um, he's he's swinging and missing. Uh, it looks like about forty one percent of the time, um, which is very bad. Uh, you would like to see him closer to the MLB average of around twenty four. Uh, so that is obviously just, you know, a huge issue for him. Um, but it's, you know, I mean, it is really, the challenge is just converting the contact he's getting into more hits because he's absolutely clobbering the ball when he's hitting it and he's not necessarily getting the 92nd percentile hard hit. 78th percentile exit velocity, 75% barrel when he hits it, which is not often, but when he hits it, he damages it. Yeah. He's barely ever sort of just getting a a piece, um, and he's hitting it on the ground too much, which, you know, has been an issue for him at times in his career. Um, But, you know, the, 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 like, the components are still there in terms of, you know, this is major league level contact. It's just not happening enough for him. And and I think he's, it's converted into him pressing, unfortunately, um, and over swinging to some degree. Uh, you know, and there's no way around it. It sucks to hit. He looks bad. Um, and, and he's at some points having just bad process, but, um, you know, I, I, there's, there's enough for me to think the better option is to continue letting him work at this. Um, because I mean, he has you four know. barrels. You know how many barrels Malik Smith has? <laughs> Who would like to guess? Uh, Smith has a bat. <laughs> Who yeah, would like to I'm guess like, how I'm, many barrels Malik I don't, Smith has? I don't think Malik Smith's bat has a barrel. No, he I, has I zero think, barrels. That's what I'm saying. He's got, a, he's got like one of those like little league bats that's just like super long. He had eight barrels last year. Yep. The Amir Khan from Backyard yes, Baseball. Exactly. He had eight barrels last year. So Evan, Evan White is already halfway to Malik's. Anyway, I just want to underscore the fact that, like, yes, the numbers look really bad. And there are a lot of things to be worried about. Um, specifically, when you see him have a loss of an, an approach, which he has. Like, he has had some really bad at-bats. I wrote about this, but the Dylan Bundy at-bat. And, John, you did some analysis, too, of, like, just how he was pulling off his head at the last minute there. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, just not. Yeah, I mean, he's swinging to, you know, he's swinging to try and hit a five-run homer and get his yeah because right now that is the only thing that probably will feel really good to him yeah you know which is okay i mean it's 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 natural it's a natural part of going through this which again in the article which you should go read if you have not it's long but it will explain um you know this is a really difficult thing he's doing very few prospects go straight from double a up to mlb and actually have to stick there all year um and it's usually kind of phenoms it's the tatises and the cunhas and the um confortos and you know guys who are kind of benintendi guys who are kind of can't miss and for evan white the selling point on him has never really been the bat the bat is supposed to be 
average to good. And he does hit the ball hard. It's just, as John was saying, he has a tendency to put it on the ground too much. He's been working on trying to elevate more. But the selling point with him is the defense. The defense is, hmm, I mean, I, I feel like it's 75 grade, if not 80 grade. Like, it is elite first base defense. And it isn't just him. And, like, none of the defensive measures are going to take this into account right now because he's going to have a hit for playing at first base. But, like, you know, when you see him run into right field and make a sliding catch and foul territory, when you see him, like, pick a throw, because JP, I love him, very rangy, not always accurate. He and Evan White are a beautiful pairing because JP can get to the stuff. He just can't always get it over with total accuracy. And Evan White can clean that up on the back end. It's a perfect pairing. Um, you can just see like the, the infielders are making more risky throws. They're just, they're going to fire it over there because they know even if they don't get the out, Evan White will not allow the ball to get past him. It's not going to wind up in the camera well. The guy's not going to wind up on second base. Like, so they can take their shot. So, I just, I don't think you can evaluate Evan White without also evaluating the defense and what he brings on that side. And hopefully that is enough to kind of keep him in a good mental space um, as he's going through this. Because he does, he looks frustrated and it's really upsetting to watch and but he's not going to get anything out of being at the alternate training site. He's not going to get anything off of hitting off of Logan Gilbert. Like, no, he needs he needs to be facing this my, major league pitching. He needs to be in there against guys who have good secondary stuff. And my my hope is, frankly, that I mean he is of every player on the roster right now the guy who's you know under contract longest should expect to be there longest like yes you know he's new he's the newest guy but like this is you know it's not like he's going to lose his job and also like it's not like they're going to give him give up on him or yank him around i so you know i think obviously it's got to be frustrating you know, he's been just like so many of these guys, he's been really good his entire life. And suddenly he's terrible. Yeah, this is literally but the like... first time in his career he's struggled <laughs> at any in any significant way. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, he's had like rough stretches, but like he has been It's generally... never been this bad. He's never struck no. out like this. I mean, not yeah. not in yes. college, not in his first few years in the in the minors, never. Yeah, but you know, I I guess this is where I think it matters to see if the Mariners to talk up their sort of mental health and and mental toughness and uh, you know their ability to put their players in the right sort of headspace to get the most out of themselves. This is where I think you need to see that you know where where you've got push coming to shove a bit here, right? You've got a guy who should be starting every day if, if you know for how much they believe in him and for how little there is behind him and he's in his own head and they have to find a way to get him on the right track I mean I don't know if I'm comfortable with saying he's in his own head sorry 
I don't I I don't think we can make any kind of um judgment about what Evan White's mental state is. I think we can say he's looked frustrated on some strikeouts. Sure. I think we can fair. say it's not yeah. been a linear progression where the strikeouts were bad and they've gotten better. Sometimes they've been bad. Sometimes he's had good plate appearances, and then he's followed that good plate appearance up with a bad plate appearance. Because learning mm. isn't linear, and human beings aren't linear, and you don't get better like in a in a perfect upward arc. You know, there's like dips, there's fits and starts. So mm. that's I think a little bit of what we're seeing play out. I I agree, but I I think it, it is important for guys when they are struggling so consistently to have that mentality impressed upon them because you know you and I can talk about that but does that feel la- does it feel that way for him when you know when he's going up there and he tries to have good process and it you know it it leads to the same bad result or or another bad result um, and and then the next time he goes up there with not a, seemingly a worse process and has again a bad result as well, you know, getting to the point where at least the process looks better each time, uh, e- even if the results don't. I would like I the process that's... to look overall better, but again, like that's part of learning is like not every plate appearance, and we're dealing with such a mm-hmm. small number of them too. Like, not every plate appearance is going to look great. No. Yeah, the thing that I was going to say was on the frustration tip that you mentioned. Like, the thing that I've uh, noticed about Evan White when he gets frustrated is a lot of times it's when he knows a fastball is coming, he's sitting fastball, it's right over the plate, it's like 94, Mm -hmm. belt high, and he just swings through it. That's when I've seen him get really frustrated. And I can understand that. Like, that would be frustrating, knowing you – like, having the – Everything is right except for the part where you hit it. Like, that's got to be maddening. But I also remember saying this exact same thing last year about Dylan Moore, how he would be sitting fastball a lot, get one right over the plate, and swing through it. And he figured it out. I mean, I don't know what happened, but he became Craig Biggio (laughs) overnight, basically. (laughs) So we'll see if Evan White can do something similar. But, I mean, again, like, the way to – the way out of this is definitely through more reps, The way out is through. So, Evan White, we're all with you, bud. Uh, Keep your chin up, and hopefully in the future we're not talking about how your defense is still the only thing that's keeping you on the team. Uh, We have more questions, though. Well, we have questions, I should say, Um, but this one is right along the same lines um, from Curtis Christensen on Twitter. Uh, They brought up the struggle bus. They said, does the struggles of Evan White, who we just talked about, but also, Shed Long, Dan Vogelback, or Malik Smith, worry any of you about the future? Uh, my personal bias makes it hard for me to be worried about Shed. I just think that Shed will be fine the way that like a parent always thinks their kid will turn out okay. Vogelback and Malik Smith I am worried about. And Malik Smith, uh, especially, he's become the guy where like I loathe every time he's at the plate. Because at least with Vogelback, it's like... Okay, if they hang a pitch, he could hit it to the fucking moon. But with Malix, it's like if they hang a pitch, maybe he'll get a double instead of an infield single, you know? And that's just not a fun way to watch baseball. I don't want to have a guy in the lineup where he makes me sad to watch. So I am worried about him. But he's also, I think, you know, not a huge part of the future. I know he has, like, 
a decently long. What's his contract? Oh, he's so he's arb eligible, arb two next year. He doesn't become an unrestricted free agent until twenty twenty three. Yeah. So uh, I guess I, we'll see. But yeah. I'm not banking on Malik's being around for. No, I I agree with your sort of delineation there. Um, Evan White concerning, not unexpected, not, not unexpected that he would struggle, but, you know, wanting to see him improve on that. Uh, Vogelbach and Malix, neither of whom need to be guys. Um, You have, I think you need more from shed long. There's, there's a higher chance you need something from shed long. And I, I will say with shed, I feel generally all right I, I think there's reason to think he'll be all right I mean a lot of his numbers look pretty consistent with where he was at uh last year um you know he's he's mostly just running into um you know an issue of he's putting the ball on the ground a little bit too much but you know he's still taking walks his walk rate's actually up a tick you know he's striking out a little more but not so much that you'd be deeply concerned um he's looked i would i would say a little bit smoother defensively not gold glove worthy by any stretch he's sort of olayed a couple uh liners and grounders but um you know i think i think he's he has looked more just like, oh, this is a guy going through the progressions of the start of a season, and he hasn't started super hot, but he'll start catching the ball a little bit further in front of the plate and get some more line drives and get a little more, uh, you know, under the ball and and use his power. So, uh, yeah, I, I I feel reasonably comfortable with how Shed is 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 going to shape up. I'm worried about Shed. Sorry. Really? No. Okay. I'm a little worried. I mean, he just doesn't. He's not hitting the ball very hard. Like he's in. He's got the exact same exit velo as last year, on average, right now. Yeah, he's supposed to be. I mean, he's supposed to be this little pint-sized powerhouse, right? So Mm -hmm. that is upsetting. Um, Just his numbers aren't. And I mean, I don't know. Maybe you think that the K percentage isn't concerning. I think a almost 26% K percentage is concerning a little given his like kind of overall skill set and what you want to see out of him. I want him to be a high on base guy and like maybe that's just not what he is. But uh I mean he's got a double digit walk, right? Right? He's 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 got I mean the main issue is, right? He's got a 265 BABIP right now. Last year it was 60 points higher. You know, he's, his OBP is 80 points, over 80 points above his batting average. So he just has to have, he's just got to have those hits, you know, and, and he hasn't had the hits and he hasn't had, um, you know, as much of the, of the power. And it wasn't like, oh, this is going to be like a, you know, 20, 30 homer guy. But it was, it was something where it was like, okay, if you can hit like 260 to 280, you're going to be. A, an average or better player and and he certainly has not been on that pace right now but i i'm i just see a little bit more positive in terms of yeah this is the slow you know this this is more ebb and flow than uh bad approach may and maybe that's wrong 
I don't know. Uh, it's a yeah. short, weird season, so I'm not trying to hold anything against anyone. But I would say that exactly. Shed is maybe higher on my list of concerns than Evan White. That's Whoa. fair. That's fair. Interesting. Okay. I will just chime in and say that Shed, even though it feels like we've seen him a lot, still has less than 70 MLB games under his belt. So, like, if he had started from opening day last year, you know, that wouldn't even be, mm-hmm. like, that'd be, like, half of a season, you know? Mm-hmm. So there's still a lot of time for Shed to, to figure his stuff out. Yeah, but I agree that it's it's verging on concern for me. He's... But I think that just time will help him i believe his his sort of if you if you prorated it out which is not really how it works he'd he'd be just like a little over a two win player over roughly a full season somewhere like two to two and a half win player uh if you if you sort of gave him like 600 plate appearances i think he's around like just a like 250 or so um and and so you know if you smooth that all together uh you know that's that's not scintillating but that's like you know this is an average player who's young and continuing to hopefully improve and and i'll also say i'm sad perry hill isn't around to work with shed because i feel like that would really help him out Mm -hmm. have you i will i do want to know kate have you been encouraged or discouraged or sort of not really felt one way or the other about like the infield uh Outside of Evan White. Oh, like, uh, encouraged, encouraged for sure. But that's mostly being propped up by Seeger and JP. Sure. Uh, the shed long part worries me a little. Yeah. Uh, let's go to some other young players. We uh, we got a question from at Shibboleth with a zero instead of an O. Uh, they have a great question right off the bat. What is happening in Tacoma? Question mark, exclamation point. I thought we would be more in the loop than we have been, but all we hear is Kelnick is really good. <laughs> what about everyone else? Who is standing out? Who is lagging behind? This is a great Ugh. question. I only see the videos that beat writers post mm. on Twitter. It's hard to get any like real stats, obviously. So like I know that Austin Shenton hit one from Tacoma basically all the way back <laughs> to Seattle. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if he's been doing well every yeah. day, you know? Do you guys it's have any hard. idea? I mean you only get pieces here and there. Um I have applied for credentials to Tacoma Games, which I've not been granted because there are only seven spots that they have. So with Jen Mueller kind of, Jen Mueller has been there every day and is filing reports. So if you watch the root um, broadcasts of the games, you can usually see like a little update. But it is frustrating because it is, you know, kind of piecemeal. Um, It's... And from the team. It's from the team. Yeah, exactly. You it's know, not objective. What are, what are you going to hear from Yeah, them? it's, it's yeah. not objective. So, you know, LJ Newsom is working on a cutter. That is fantastic. I <laughs> would love to hear anything, literally anything else about that. Um, yeah. yeah, so it's difficult because, um, I don't know, not to toot our own horn, but yes, I will toot our own horn. It's difficult when you don't have the the full experience of the games and then you have people who really know baseball and know analyzing baseball watching them from beginning to end who are like tracking these players who have a long history with tracking these players who are then and and that's what we do like that is our that's what we do with the they might be mariners and with the midshipmen's log is um i think that that's a huge value add on the the site yeah so it's been sad not to have that to follow because i think you really do have to have a day-to-day kind of thing where you see like 
this is happening, this is happening, this is happening, and then you can kind of build a narrative off of it. So we're only seeing the highlights, which is really exciting because it's super exciting to watch Jared Kelnick hit a baseball all over Tacoma. Um, but mm. it does feel like a very incomplete picture, which, to be fair, I mean, maybe that's the best we can do in this weird little season. Um, is there a, uh, like, do you think there is a, like, particular, uh, schedule is there a particular schedule on the intra squads i couldn't remember if it was two a week or three a week because uh, i i remember you know we're, we're obviously trying to get that information like you said and and i will try again at some point uh to get you know to get down there and get inside but uh they're, they're only playing a few times a week uh in terms of live games so it, i'm not totally sure i know they were trying to work that up at some point just cause yeah and i think media availability is only for it. the inner squad games so again you're not like seeing guys necessarily working on things um mm. and again those spots are full of the beat writers so to follow what individual guys are who are actually not at the alternate training site are working on um Jared Bayless is really great. He was the podcast guest a couple weeks ago. Well, we just posted it this week, I think, because of audio issues. But he has gone, he broke down his whole training regimen and like what he's doing. And I think that is really interesting. And that's obviously, you're not going to get that kind of insight off of every guy, what every guy is doing. But hopefully, like, we're going to work with various players who we have relationships with and try to get something from them about what they're working on. Uh, I know LJ Newsom's agent, so we should be able to get something out of him. It's I, it's just going to be piecemeal, unfortunately, because there is no overarching structure to the games or to um, a regular kind of minor league season. So it is going to kind of be catch as catch can. And finally, a question from at a fish and his chips beautiful well yes i recognize the handle that's a good that's a good account yeah one of our favorites uh they said everyone talks about for good reason the likes of kalanick and j-rod but even if not brought up at least they have tacoma to develop and show off talent etc who are the guys on next levels down that you think will suffer the most from not having minor league season to make their Mm -hmm. mark this is a great question and definitely tailor-made for you guys because um, I think that that's a good point. There are, you know, the single A, double A kids who are just kind of hanging out all season. Like they got to figure out a real plan to not just, you know, move backwards on their development um, or at least plateau. Like you want to have improvement every day. That's the whole point of the minor leagues. And if you're not getting the opportunity to do that against real baseball players, got to imagine it's pretty hard. So uh, who are the guys on the next levels that you think are probably having a, a difficult time with? sort of this lack of structure. Even if they do have a good routine, they're still not playing baseball games every day like they were last mm-hmm. year. Well, I want to start out by saying that we actually wrote something up on this. There's an article on the site about um, which minor leaguers specifically were the most negative Im- impact yeah, right. by impacted by not being invited to join the taxi squad. So Penn Murphy is one that really jumps out for me. Um, He was in the Arizona Fall League last year. He had kind of a breakthrough year at Modesto. He's a little bit of an older guy. 
Um, I was really surprised that they didn't bring him to the alternate training site, at least, because I think he's a very usable bullpen arm. I would put Scott Bochus in that category, too. Sort of Ian McKinney, who was um, just starting to crack the AA level that had kind of hurt him when he was with the Cardinals and wound up with him being released. So I think mostly guys who are pitchers, who are a little bit older, um, who are kind of fringy candidates. Ray Kerr is maybe another one that I would think of. Uh, I think that that class of player has been hurt the most by just losing the prospect who's a little bit older, um, and specifically a pitcher who's, who are losing on the, out on the opportunity to get game reps, show the team what they can do and, you know, try to elbow their way into a spot on the 40. Yeah. I'll, I'll add on that. Um, you know, I think on the, on the position player side, cause I think Kate, you covered a lot of the, uh, sort of most apt, uh, pitchers, uh, Joe Rizzo, uh, is like the, probably the first or one of the first guys, uh, in the position player group who, who would, didn't make the cut, uh, I would have to imagine, um, you know, it's particularly tough for him as like a second baseman, third baseman, first baseman, uh, kind of tweener to get jumped by not just Austin Shenton, but also Tyler Keenan, who was recently drafted and Caden Polkovich, uh, just drafted. So, uh, you know, that's a, that's a tough thing for, for a guy who is going to be going into his, I want to say, uh, fifth year, maybe sixth year as a pro, uh, getting his Mm -hmm. sort of first crack at double a next year, theoretically, uh, and, and that's, you know, I mean, that's just kind of the clock, not that it, the clock on his career will shorten up, but certainly that his, his, uh, options will be, uh, more limited. You know, he's a younger guy as a high school draftee, but still, uh, and then, I mean, really just a lot of the players from the Dominican, uh, Academy, uh, just because so few of those guys, got uh you know really got i mean only only noel v Marte got called from the dominican uh you know academy to be in the taxi squad without having played at a higher level first um and that you know that's not unsurprising but it is like for those guys the current setup is very much you play at least a year there in the dominican then maybe you come and start you know, an extended spring training. And then once the Arizona league starts going and, you know, short season starts going around June, July, you know, once the draft is gone, then your season starts. So, I mean, it really slows you down even further. And for a lot of those guys to not get a chance to, uh, you know, prove, okay, I can handle this lower minor stuff. I mean that that is a real demerit. Uh, Brand Perez is the other pitcher, the only other pitcher I'd put in that group who was like probably not a guy you would put in the taxi squad, but he was one of the better uh, pitching, you know, under under um, under the radar pitching prospects. Sort of a pitchability lefty yeah. who has had really good numbers at every level, has been doing doing good workouts during 
the well he's been in peoria where yes. because he's venezuelan so the team held the yeah. venezuelan prospects in their complex i would say that another thing that has hurt the dsl kids specifically is that it's not like jared bayless who went to dbu who can like go train at the dbu field um mm. or players who have fields at, in their hometowns that they can go to the dominican fields were not in great shape to begin with they're horrible now because no one has been maintaining them because of covid uh, which really hit that country hard so these guys just haven't been able not only are they not getting professional reps of any kind but they are also not able to just go out and play like pickup ball at their local fields i mean only recently i think have a lot of them returned to meeting up with guys just like who are obviously not really on their level not not pro players um in kind of substandard conditions so they've been doing what they can bless jonathan classe's heart he's been just working out like a madman his biceps are he looks like the swole doge meme <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's just I like guess. a little head he and then these enormous yeah. biceps because uh, mm -hmm. he's just i mean that's what he's been able to do and he has to do something so you know, they're out there hitting into nets that they've made themselves out of, like, old t-shirts. Yeah. Um, it's it's pretty grim, and it's really, unfortunately, much like, you know, kind of any other wealth gap, um, things that were exacerbated by COVID, you're going to see that, too, in the people who kind of had the least resources are going to be the most adversely impacted by this which sucks. I, I will say one, one other name just real quick is Sam Carlson, just cause you know, I think he's the person most heavily highlighted in the article you referenced Kate, but for guys, he's who playing in have, an independent league right now though. That's true. That's so. true. Um, which I mean, it's know, bad I mean, for him professionally, but he is, I think in a, because of his age and so I, I mean, I'm less worried about Sam Carlson or I feel less badly fair. for yeah. him than I do for some of these other guys. Certainly. Oh, yeah. It just was, you know, it's, you know, the big thing for him was getting in game reps and I am glad that he's doing that at least. But, yeah. On yeah. some level. Yeah. Bad for the Carlson, but good for the content. I didn't even know that, though. I learn a lot every time we do this podcast because you guys have much closer tabs on the minors than I do. So, Sam Carlson in your indie league, uh, keep doing you, Hello, baby. yes, it Hope is all Instagram. Out. It is literally all Instagram. That makes sense. As long as uh, Jonathan Classe doesn't turn into um, what's what's Buddy's name in the Yankees prod in the Yankees system, who's absolutely Dominguez. Yeah, Yasson. <laughs> yeah. If he reaches that level, we have to step in and intervene but until then i think just normal swoleness is fine i i will take a normal cube of muscle <laughs> all right yeah take what we can get this year uh for sure thank you to everyone who sent questions we got a lot i think the off day uh really inspired y'all and it was great to see such fervor in our twitter comments so we couldn't get to all of you but we can always kind of roll these over for next Absolutely. time if they're still relevant and continue that uh, that enthusiasm and energy when we call for questions in the future, like 10 minutes before we start <laughs> recording, because that's when we really need it. <laughs> but as always, thank you for listening. I'm Matthew Robertson at MRoberson22 on Twitter. Uh, Kate Prusser and John Troopin were here with me. Their Twitter names are just their names. 
Kate Prusser and John Trupin because guess what? They didn't make their Twitters <laughs> in 2012. Well, maybe you did, John. How long have you been on Twitter? Were uh, you a, a high school tweeter? I was not a high school tweeter. I think I got got in there. I, I did have a different uh, handle. I changed it at some point. I was absolutely like troop dog on there. And, and at some point I changed it. It was September 2012. So, oh. yeah, just, uh, just after um, – you know, just early college, start a college. There. Well, we can't all be as brave as I am. That's why I've shifted <laughs> from. So I've effortlessly shifted from high school tweeter to professional podcaster. That's it was true. really a logical step for someone as brave and uh, you know worldly as I am. So you guys get it. The listeners get it. We love you all. Thank you for listening. And until next time. Bye. Goodbye. Let go. Let go.